0: The Secret Church Podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 5, David Platt explores scripture's teaching on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. After looking at the mystery behind the Spirit's identity, as well as the way the Spirit has been viewed historically by the Church, this study focuses on the person and work of the Spirit. Finally, a number of significant issues related to the Spirit are addressed blasphemy against the spirit, baptism in the spirit, filling with the spirit and the gifts of the spirit. For The Secret Church Five study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit radical.net SC5. And this is Secret Church Five, episode four.
1: Now this is where we're really gonna camp out, the spirit and redemption. What we're going to look at is three, this picture, the spirit of redemption, in three different ways. First of all, redemption anticipated. Redemption anticipated. This is the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi. Redemption anticipated. The spirit with Israel. So what we're going to think about is redemption anticipated in the Old Testament. Then second, redemption accomplished, which is the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at the picture of Christ and we're going to see the spirit, not with Israel, but the spirit on Christ. The relationship between the Spirit and Christ, and then third is redemption applied, redemption applied, and this is Acts to Revelation, the Spirit in the Church. So that's the three lenses we're in. The, that's where redemption applied is where we're really going to come in, where we're going to understand what the Spirit is doing in our lives. But in order to understand that, we've got to understand how this was anticipated and accomplished in Christ, how the Spirit was working with Israel and on Christ, and that informs how the Spirit works in the church. So, redemption anticipated, the Spirit with Israel. The key word here is with, the Spirit with Israel. The reason I emphasize that is because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is a transitory presence. We looked at this earlier, 1 Samuel 16. The Spirit of the Lord departed Saul. Psalm 51, David's crying out, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. The picture is in the Old Testament, the Spirit is coming upon people and leaving people. Transitory presence. There's a couple of times in the Old Testament where the Spirit is mentioned as filling people or being in people. But for the most part, what you've got is the picture of the Spirit with people. And you get to, I, don't, I didn't include this here, but Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 10, these are pictures where the prophet Ezekiel saw the Spirit of God departing the temple in Jerusalem. The Spirit of God leaving this place where he had dwelled. So, transitory presence. And second in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is an unfulfilled promise. I need you to follow with me here. By unfulfilled, basically mean incomplete. There was more to come. The fullness, the promise of the Holy Spirit, is not experienced in the Old Testament. There's something yet to come. This is what the prophets all talk about. Listen to Isaiah. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted, a citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever, the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, till the Spirit is poured upon us from on high. Something's coming. Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put, I will, something coming in the future, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. I will no longer hide my face from them, Ezekiel 39. I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel. Joel 2, 28, afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. End of that verse, 29. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And so there's something coming. This is anticipating unfulfilled promise, incomplete in the Old Testament. Transitory presence, unfulfilled promise. Hold on, put your hat on those, and we're going to come back to it, okay? Transitory presence, unfulfilled promise. What is the Spirit doing then? As a transitory presence, and if He's going to come in in greater fullness, what is He doing now? Well, first, the Spirit in the Old Testament, with Israel, He is enabling the work of God. He's enabling the work of God. And this is in a variety of different ways. He is empowering God's people to lead. He, he comes and tells, tells Moses here in Numbers chapter 11, I'm going to take the spirit I put on you and I'm going to put it on some others, and they're going to help you carry the burden of leadership among the people of Israel. I'm going to enable them by giving, by pouring out my spirit on other people. Same picture in Numbers 27. 27. Joshua, Moses' successor, take Joshua, son of none, a man in whom is the spirit. It's all over Judges. We see this in Judges 3 here. The spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. That's Othniel. Then you get to Judges 634, you've got Gideon. The spirit comes on Gideon. Then you've got Jephthah in Judges 1129. Spirit's coming on these guys to enable them to lead. Then you get to Saul. 1 Samuel 10, the Spirit of God came on him in power. and He joined in their prophesying. David, the Spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. He is enabling God's work by empowering God's people to lead. Second, he's equipping God's people with skills. God was making, uh, giving explanations about how to, what the priests needed to wear, what the tabernacle lo- needed to look like, what the, ar- the tent of meeting and the ark of the covenant needed to look like. And what he does, look at Ezekiel 31 right there. Ezekiel 31, 1 through 5. The Lord said to Moses, see, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, listen to this, filled him with the Spirit of God with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. This guy was a good craftsman, why? Because he was filled with the spirit of God. He's equipping God's people with skills. And then, next, he enables God's people for victory. Isaiah 63 is talking about how God led his people through the Red Sea, through his spirit. First Samuel 19 is really a, a somewhat humorous story because uh, the whole picture is uh, Saul is wanting to kill David and David Flees. He gets wind of this and flees, and he ends up getting to where Samuel is. Saul finds out that David and Samuel are in this particular place, and Saul sends some of his men to take David out. And some of his men go, and when they go, listen to what First Samuel nineteen twenty says, he sends men to capture him, but when they saw a group of prophets prophesying with Samuel standing there as their leader, the Spirit of God came upon Saul's men, and they also prophesied. Isn't that great? Like, they're supposed to be taking David out, and the Spirit of God instead says i 'm going to come on you and you 're going to stop what you 're doing and you are start prophesying and it was, all, it was basically like a picture of a, a trance like state where they 're prophesying and Saul gets one of this, and he 's like, "What are these guys doing they 're prophesying they 're supposed to be killing so I'm, I need to go with myself i 'm going to take things in my own hands So Saul goes, and when he gets there, the Spirit of God comes on Saul and he starts prophesying. Not only does he start prophesying, but the first Samuel in 19 says he stripped his clothes and started prophesying and so Saul Saul was thinking that he was going to take David out. Instead, he finds himself naked prophesying under the power of the Spirit of God. This is not the way he (laughs) he planned things. Isn't that a great story? Yeah. That's funny. Ah. He enables God's people for victory. I, I, you know, okay. He encourages God's people to persevere. To persevere. We see the Spirit encouraging the people to persevere. So Isaiah 44, we've read Psalm 143 already. About halfway through, do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant; Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry, gr- dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This is not a difficult time among the people of Israel. Zechariah: Not by my might, nor by my, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. You're going to get through this. Haggai, two. Now be strong, declares the Lord. Be strong. Be strong. I am with you. In the very end, my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. What encouragement there in Haggai that comes from the spirit. My spirit is among you. I am with you. Be strong. So the spirit is encouraging God's people to persevere. These are all the ways where he's enabling the work of God. He's empowering people. He's equipping people. He's enabling them for victory. He's encouraging them to persevere. All these different ways throughout the Old Testament. He's enabling the work of God. Next, the Spirit inspires the worship of God. This is David. These are the last words of David. The oracle of David, son of Jesse. The oracle of the man exalted by the Most High. The man anointed by the God of Jacob. The man who wrote so many psalms, songs, worship. Israel, singer of songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The Spirit in the Old Testament inspiring the worship of God. And then the Spirit revealing the word of God. Ezekiel chapter 2 is an incredible passage. The Spirit reveals the Word of God. Listen to this passage. He said to me, son of man, I just want you to picture this. Put yourself in Ezekiel's shoes. Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid. The briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them. Whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. This was the prophet, the prophet, hear from God, eat what he gives and proclaim it, say what he says. Don't, you will be amidst scorpions and people who are rebelling, but speak what I've told you to speak. This is what the prophet would do, revealing the Word of God. Now, here's how this process worked. Two steps, and I, hold your hats here too because this is going to help us understand something later. First, revelation. The prophet receives the word. God speaks to the prophet, reveals his word to the prophet. The prophet receives the word. And then inspiration, the prophet relays the word. The prophet receives the word from God, and then the prophet relays the word. He proclaims the word in speech. This is, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. Second Chronicle twenty four twenty. Spirit of the Lord is on me. Preach these things. Isaiah 61. Micah 3. I'm filled with the power, with the Spirit of the Lord, to declare... He relays the word. So the prophet receives the word and relays the word. Revelation, inspiration. Keep that in mind. As we understand well these two things. First of all, he proclaims the word in Scripture. And this is where I've got some passages here from the New Testament that tell us what God was doing in the Old Testament. Listen to this. In those days, Peter stood among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit speaking through David's mouth. Acts 4, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Then second Peter 1, 20 and 21, two very important verses for understanding Scripture. You must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God. I love this imagery. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Spirit carrying them along and speaking through them. So, what well, we see the spirit with Israel, three main roles. The spirit enables the work of God. He's inspiring the worship of God. Or he's, uh, in, whatever it was. And then he's doing, giving the word of God too. Okay? So there you go. Just and we're clear on that. Okay, here we go. At the end, though, at the end, you've still got this anticipation because there's something not complete. There's a transitory presence, unfulfilled promise. Then you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, and the picture of Jesus, and redemption accomplished, the Spirit on Christ. And we begin to see the fulfillment. And we think about it. Now, we've got to see this in Christ before we jump to our lives, to the church. Abraham Kuyper, this is a great quote. The church has never sufficiently confessed the influence the Holy Spirit exerted on the work of Christ. The general impression is that the work of the Holy Spirit begins when the work of the mediator on earth is finished. As though until that time the Holy Spirit celebrated his divine day of rest. He was just sitting back, just waiting to get in the game. That's not true. The scripture teaches us again and again that Christ performed his mediatorial work controlled and impelled by the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do is I want us to think about how this this whole promise was accomplished in Christ, and then think about it as it relates to different facets of the life of Christ and the person of Christ. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is a transitory presence. We've talked about that. On Christ, the Holy Spirit is a permanent presence. This is the picture in John 1. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. The man on whom you see the Spirit of God come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Spirit. Permanent, will r- remain on him. Second, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is an unfulfilled promise. On Christ, the Holy Spirit is a fulfilled promise. Listen to these prophecies in the Old Testament. Isaiah 11, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The spirit will rest on him. And you get to Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. And this is quoting from Isaiah 42, the prophecy back there. About midway, or a couple sentences in, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant, whom I have chosen, the one I love, and whom I delight. I will put my Spirit on him. Luke four, when Jesus stands up in the synagogue and he unrolls the scroll and he says Isaiah sixty one. He starts quoting. The spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointing me to preach good news to the poor and all of these things. And he sits down. He says, "Today, this scripture has been fulfilled into your in your hearing. What was promised about the Spirit being on." It's now fulfilled in this whole picture on me. Now, how is that played out in different facets of his life? Well, his birth, his incarnation, the spirit of the incarnation of Christ. The spirit, what is the spirit doing in the life of Christ, in the person of Christ? First, the spirit prepares the way for the incarnation prophetically. What you've got there in Luke 1, 41, 67, and in Luke 2 are pictures of of the Spirit coming upon people and enabling Elizabeth and then Zechariah to prophesy about the coming of Christ. And then Luke uh, 2, let's just read this one real quick. This is such a great story. Simeon, listen to this. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He had been waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit. So it's been told you're not gonna die until you see Christ. So this guy's living just to see Christ. It's what gets him up in the morning. He wants to see Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Isn't that a great picture? You live for this day, and you see this child come in, you realize, the Spirit moves you in there to realize this is the Lord's salvation. What an incredible picture. Preparing the way for the incarnation prophetically, and then the Spirit makes possible the incarnation physically. And this is the picture in the end of Luke 1, 29-35, when the angel tells Mary, the Spirit will come upon you, the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. When the spirit comes upon you, it's what the angel tells Joseph in Matthew 1, about two-thirds of the way through that quote. Jesus, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from who? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is literally fashioning the humanity of Christ in Mary. That's the picture here. Spirit in the incarnation. So that's his birth. Then don't have a lot of biblical picture between his birth and then come to his baptism, the Spirit in the baptism of Christ. At Jesus' baptism, what does the Spirit do? The Spirit confirms the Old Testament promise, particularly in the John 1 passage that's listed there below. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Confirms, and then at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit commissions Christ for ministry. Right after he's baptized and the Spirit comes on him like a dove, which is what Matthew 3 gives us the picture, Look at Mark 1 at the very end of that. After a voice came from heaven and said, You are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the desert. So he's sent out immediately by the Spirit, commissioned. Now he goes into the temptation, the Spirit of the temptation of Christ. Luke 4.1, 4.14. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert. And then after he's tempted... Between verse 1 and 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. When you think about it, this is just an amazing picture. The Spirit led Jesus to the desert. The Spirit of God led Jesus to the place where he would be tempted. Led him. Empowered him in the desert. We talked about that. Sword of the Spirit, word of God. And then the Spirit delivered Jesus from the desert. He returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. The Spirit's all over this picture of the temptation of Christ. And don't miss it. Luke is, is particularly focusing on this because Luke wrote another book. Anybody remember what the other book is called? Acts, which is a picture of the Spirit. And so he's very intentional to show us. This is not Spirit's not some new picture in Acts. It's all over Jesus. Spirit of God is all over. He's all over Jesus in the book of Luke. Keep that in mind. In the spirit and the works of Christ, his life and ministry. Jesus worked in the power of the spirit. This is the passage where the elicits uh, conversation about blasphemy against the spirit, but at the very end of Matthew 12, 25 through 28, he says, If I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is the picture when Jesus is, the conversation here is talking about driving out demons. In the life of Christ is the picture of the Spirit of God confronting the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms and this picture being displayed through the life and the ministry of Christ. And not just, in the, not just working in the power of the Spirit, but Luke 10, Jesus worked in the joy of the Spirit. This is right after Jesus talks about seeing Satan fall like lightning from heaven and spiritual forces of evil submitting not only to Jesus but also to his followers. He says, and the Bible says, at that time Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Full of joy through the Holy Spirit. There's power and there's joy here. Don't forget that. Power and joy. And the spirit and the passion of Christ. And this is where we we really have to go outside the gospel records because in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the pictures of the cross, and resurrection, we don't see explicit references to the Spirit of God. But look at what the rest of the New Testament teaches. The Spirit empowered Jesus for the cross, Hebrews 9. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, empowered Jesus at the cross, and the Spirit vindicated Jesus in the resurrection, Romans 1. Through the Spirit of holiness... Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by His resurrection from the dead. First Timothy three sixteen. Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body, was vindicated by the Spirit. First Peter three eighteen. Very end, He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. The Spirit vindicated Jesus in the resurrection, empowered Jesus at the cross, vindicated Him in the resurrection. Then you get to the ascension, and the ascension is the catalyst for the coming of the Spirit's presence. This is huge. The ascension gets kind of glossed over in the personal work of Christ sometimes. But it's huge. Listen to what John 7 said, what Jesus said there. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Within him. By this he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So he's talking about the Spirit, and it says up to that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus needed to be glorified, ascend to the right hand of the Father in order for the Spirit to be given. That's why you get to Acts chapter 1 and he gives this promise in verse 8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then right after that, after he said, Acts 1-8, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. The ascension is the catalyst for the coming of the Spirit's presence. Ascension is also the key for the continuation of the Spirit's work. I want to show this to you. Open with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I want to encourage you to circle one of the greatest words in Acts chapter 1 that you probably, well, we we can miss. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to this picture. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Listen to how Luke starts this picture. He says, he's writing to Theophilus, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. Listen to verse 1 again. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. I would encourage you to circle that word, began. What I love is, think about it. He's just written this whole gospel. And he says, that's only the beginning of what Jesus has done and taught. But then you get to Acts chapter 1, and by verse 11, Jesus is out of here. So how is the whole book of Luke just a beginning if Jesus is checked out by Acts 111. And we really don't see, we see various references to Christ, the rest, but not near as prevalent. Here's the beauty. This is the whole picture. The Spirit of God would be the presence of Christ dwelling in the people of God. And so the work of Christ and His people was just beginning in the Gospels. It would be it would be scattered among 120 believers in Acts chapter 1, 3,000 by the end of Acts chapter 2, 5,000 and so on and so on and so on and so on. to 2,000 plus people who are here tonight who have the very presence of Christ living in us because He has ascended to heaven and He has sent His Spirit to us. Dissension is the key for the continuation of the Spirit's work. And you see that in Acts chapter 7? That's one of those places where... Uh, Where we do see Christ, when Stephen's about to be stoned and he looked up and he sees heaven open and the Son of Man, Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Romans 8, 34 there. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. The ascension finally is the confirmation that the Spirit will lead the church to Christ's second coming. That's the promise at the ascension is that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven.
0: Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at radical.net.